Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm excited that we are going to start this new series today, On the Road with Jesus. And uh, there's actually lots of passages in the Scripture about um, being on the road, and we're going to look at some of the key passages where Jesus is on the road and try to discover what happened there, and then how does that relate to us. And one of the interesting things we're going to discover is that as we travel on our roads every day, we find that Jesus is actually on those roads too. And that can make a big difference for how we live our lives. So I'm excited about that. We actually started this journey um, on Wednesday. For anybody who was able to make it for our Ash Wednesday service, I thought it was really a great opportunity for us to begin focus. And then any of you kids who just took this journey with Alan, can you tell me how many days this Lenten journey is, the journey from Ash Wednesday to Easter? How many days? Anybody know? Yeah? Forty, that's right. So that's a long journey, isn't it? So we're going to try to find some tools that we can use along the way to help us. So we're going to look at some scripture passages today. We're going to actually look at two from the Gospel of Luke because Luke, interestingly enough, has a, a Jesus on the road at the beginning of his story and he has Jesus on the road at the end of his story. And we're going to try to figure out what that might mean for us. So we're going to start with Luke chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, you can open that up or there's Bibles in the chairs, you can grab one of those or you can open up your phone or uh, some app you've got to read a, read a Bible on, with your device. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And it's the wilderness road we find Jesus on in Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Luke 4, starting with verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I give it to you, anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will commend his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. So there's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. After this wilderness road with the devil showdown, he finds himself beginning his ministry. And now we're going to read about the very end of it. So turn to Luke chapter 24. So flip back to the last chapter in the book, Luke 24. One of the last things Luke tells us about Jesus is he is once again on the road. And I'm going to start reading from Luke 24, starting with verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them on the road. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their, voice, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. I want to start by confessing a bad habit I have, and that is sometimes when I lose things, I have a tendency to look for them with my mouth. I don't know if any of you have the same habit, so I lose something, and the first thing I do to start my search is I say, Hey, Mary, have you seen my keys? Or have you seen my wallet? Or have you seen my cell phone? And she's very patient with me. I must give her uh, credit for that. But sometimes I'm sure it has to be frustrating because she will come from another room in the house and she'll walk up to me standing by the counter and she'll look down and get, lo and behold, my keys are right in front of me. Anybody else ever have that experience? You were looking for something and it was right in front of you, but you just didn't see it. How come all the men are going yes and all the ladies are laughing? <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Here's the situation on the Emmaus Road. The disciples, Cleopas and his friend, have something right in front of them, but they don't see it. And when I read this story, I find it kind of amazing because they fail to recognize Jesus, and presumably they're looking this stranger right in the face as he's come up beside them on the road to talk, and they look at him and, are you the only one? They're looking right at him. Are you the only one in all Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? They find it kind of frustrating. Jesus says, what things? And they begin to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth. And I want to scream when I'm reading this passage, don't you see? You're telling Jesus all about Jesus. And he's standing right in front of you. Why can't they recognize him? And the first thing I thought about as I was reading this passage was, you know, they're meeting Jesus out of context. They don't really expect to meet Jesus here on this road to Emmaus. They have been following the happenings in the last days, and they recognize that this Jesus that they are following was arrested, and they witnessed as he was put to trial, and as he was condemned, and as he was beaten, as he was carried his cross to the hill to Calvary, and as he was nailed to the cross, and as he died. They expect Jesus to be dead. They don't expect Jesus to be alive. They certainly don't expect him to meet him in this particular stretch of the road. Although there is this rumor that they heard just that morning that maybe he is alive. But even if he is alive, why would Jesus be walking to Emmaus? So I give them a little slack because they're seeing Jesus maybe in a place they've never seen. Have you ever have that where you run into somebody 
You maybe know them. I, I had this with my dentist. Ran into my dentist at Walmart in the garden department buying shrubs. And I'm like, I know that guy somehow. <laughs> I didn't expect to see him there. Maybe if he'd been buying shrubs with a mask and rubber gloves, maybe I would have recognized that he was my dentist. These people, they're seeing him out of context. They don't expect Jesus along this Emmaus road. Plus, there's some grief here, right? Grief can be a difficult thing. And sometimes grief can play havoc with our minds and can kind of block us from seeing things that are happening. Grief has that kind of power. So they're seeing Jesus in an unexpected place. They're sad about it. And there's a lot on their minds. Now they have all these things going through their heads about what is uh, what is happening? What's, what's transpired in these last three days after Jesus has been crucified? And so they're distracted by many things. And so these disciples who are walking along this Emmaus road sound a lot like us, don't they? We go through life maybe traveling familiar roads and do we really expect to see Jesus on the road? Do we really expect to meet him there? We come here and we expect to meet him here. We sit in a Bible study, we expect to meet him there. Do we expect to meet him on Edgewood? And we're distracted by many things. Sometimes there's sad things. We're, we're grief-stricken people sometimes. Other times it's just busy. Our lives are busy. We're hustling and bustling from place to place. Do we expect to run into Jesus in the middle of all that hustling and bustling? I give these disciples along the Emmaus Road a little bit of slack because they sound a lot like us, people who sometimes miss Jesus when he's right in front of our faces. But I do find it very interesting what they do because after he talks to them for a while, they tell Jesus some really good stuff about himself. Look back at the passage there when Jesus says, you know, well, what happened? Tell me about it. They begin to tell him this story. Well, there was this man, Jesus, who was a mighty prophet, mighty in deed and word, but he was condemned to death, crucified, and we had hoped that he was the one. They put all their hopes in this, Jesus. And then some women were at the tomb early this morning and the tomb was empty. The body wasn't there. And they came back all excited and they told us that they'd seen a vision of angels and the angels said he was alive. And then some of those who were with us went and looked at the tomb and they found it just exactly as the women had said, but they did not see him. It's kind of a frustrating scene as these disciples are walking the Emmaus Road lamenting that they have not seen Jesus. And he's right next to them. I don't know exactly how this is possible, but it seems like it boils down at some level to um, we kind of see what we expect to see sometimes, don't we? And they didn't really expect to see Jesus. And that brings me back to the passage in Luke chapter 4. Here we read about Jesus. Hey, he's just been baptized. It's a highlight as the, we're told the voice of God says, this is my son who I am well pleased. And the spirit descends upon him. This is like a highlight in early in the ministry of Jesus. And then we read these words, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I don't expect that. After this high point of affirmation from his heavenly Father and the power of the Holy Spirit come upon him, and this leads him to the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. 
To be honest with you, I don't expect Jesus on the wilderness road. I expect Jesus to be on the road triumphant. I expect to see Jesus on the road victorious. I don't expect to find Jesus facing temptation. I don't really expect to find Jesus hungry. This little phrase in verse 2, he was hungry. I'm tempted to skip right over that. I don't want to hear about that. Jesus, the Son of God Almighty, power, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Luke says he was hungry. I'm wondering if something really important, if, even if unexpected, is found along this wilderness road, and I wonder if it has something to do with this. We're told at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, right after the baptism, that the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then we're told again, right after this wilderness experience, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, goes into his ministry mode. He begins his, his actual ministry. But there's something truly amazing that happens between those two things. And that is Jesus, who we do believe is absolutely divine, also reveals that he's absolutely human. And so he's hungry. Something we believe about the way this works, and it's kind of a mystery, you know, how Jesus can be fully human and fully divine at the same time. I, I used to think of it as being like Clark Kent and Superman, you know? So you've got the mild-mannered Clark Kent who's kind of wimpy and weak. But underneath, when you take the suit off, is Superman, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? That the Clark Kent is just a facade. He's not really Clark Kent. He's really Superman. But that's not really what we believe about fully human, fully divine. We believe that he was really human. He wasn't just acting weak. He really was. And so, just like you and I, if we did not eat, we would be hungry. Jesus, when he did not eat, was very hungry. And you know what happens after 40 days with no food? It actually puts you on the brink of starvation. Now, some of us have been terribly hungry before. I don't know if many of us have been on the brink of starvation. But you think back to when you're hungry, even if you just miss a meal, what happens? Oh, we become crabby and ornery, and maybe our self-control starts to dissipate. We become weak. We become open to do dumb things, Right? That's part of being human. It's part of being weak. It's what happens when we're hungry. Is this what happened to Jesus? Is he particularly vulnerable after 40 days with no food? He's hungry. He's weak. And the devil seizes this opportunity to pounce. He's going to take full advantage of Jesus when he's at his weakest. And I don't think it's just the temptation to turn the, breads into sto the stone into bread all of the temptations that Jesus gave him, every one of them would seem more appealing in this state of weakened hunger. Every one of them would have been tempting to Jesus. But he does not give in. The devil is one who does kind of wait for the right opportunity, doesn't he? He hits us when we're down, when we're weak, when we're vulnerable. And I think that's spelled out explicitly at the end of chapter 4 when it says that he left him until an opportune time. So he was not successful tempting him on the wilderness road, but there's some more roads Jesus is going to be taking between here and Calvary. And if he can trick him on any one of those roads, 
then the devil would win. These words are kind of ominous. They're kind of foreboding as we're looking toward the journey that Jesus is going to take, the journey we're going to take over this next 40 days toward Calvary. If at any time the devil can get Jesus to give in to the temptation, the devil wins. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way just like us. But he never gave in. C.S. Lewis wrote some interesting things about temptation. One of the things he wrote about was this idea that says the longer you resist temptation, the greater it becomes. So none of us as human know what it's like to really resist fully, to resist to the end, right? Because as soon as you give in to the temptation, well, it loses its power because you've just given in, right? There's only one who had to face the full force of temptation all the way through his journey, On every road he took, he's facing the full force of every temptation because he never gives in to any of them. This is the Jesus that we meet on the road. So I wonder, when we find ourselves on a tough road, a road of temptation, a road of struggle, a road of confusion, a road of doubt, a road of weakness, if we find ourselves on a wilderness road, who is there with us? Jesus, the one who never gave in. The one who was not defeated by the enemy. The one who resisted every temptation. The one who conquered sin the one who defeated the enemy. Jesus is on the road with us. So I'm driving down Wiley on Friday afternoon and I'm on the phone with somebody and we're talking about a really difficult situation. Somebody we know and care about has just stumbled and fallen and is facing a really tough situation. And as I'm talking to this person, I'm, it's heartbreaking. I don't know what to say. I don't know what direction I should tell them to turn. I'm baffled. And it's pain. I can hear the pain. The pain of it is engulfing. And so I say some nice things about, you know, it's going to be okay. I think you can get through this. And then I hung up and I was very distraught. And then I got thinking about this. You know who is right here with me driving down Wiley Avenue? Jesus. And then I had the same thought about this person. And I know who is with them. Jesus. And you know what I felt in that moment? Great peace. Because Jesus was on the road right when I needed him. And Jesus is on the road with my friend. And Jesus is on the road with each of us, whatever road that might be. This is the good news of Jesus on the road. He is always with us. So maybe we don't expect to see Jesus, but I'm sure glad that he's there. And I'm hoping that over the course of these next 40 days, we can learn to see him maybe more often. Maybe we can learn to look with him um, with our mouths shut. And listen, I was having a conversation with someone in my Sunday school class last Sunday. I teach fifth graders. So this little fifth grader is um, kind of debating me a little bit about listening for God, and we're talking about, can you hear God? 
Can you hear God's voice? And he's pretty adamant that you can't. There's no way you can. And he's just, he's just going at it. There's no way you can hear God. God never talks to us. If he talked to you, how would you know? He's going blah, 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 like this. And I'm finally, I'm like, I didn't say shut up. I was thinking shut up, but I said, be quiet. <laughs> Will you listen to me? Do you want an answer to your question? Does, can we hear Jesus? And he said, yeah, I do. And so I said, okay, listen, I am absolutely convinced that Jesus can speak to us and we can hear him. But you know what we might have to work on? We might have to work on our listening skills a little bit. We might have to just be quiet and be still and be silent and listen. And it might just surprise us how often Jesus shows up if we listen to him. I think this is the story of Jesus on the road, the wilderness road and the Emmaus road and all the roads in between, that Jesus is there with us. If we will learn to listen and to look for him, to see him, and maybe we'll have to learn to close our mouths a little more so that we can do that. It's interesting when you look at all the roads throughout Scripture, there's lots of them, and one of the most common ones is this wilderness road. We see that the children of Israel were on the wilderness road, and almost immediately after God sent them on into the wilderness to teach them to be faithful, they became unfaithful. They were not able to be faithful to the God that had called them. Some of the most important heroes of the Bible, the heroes of our faith in the Bible, end up on roads that you would describe as wilderness roads. They go through these difficult trials and tests and challenges, and almost every one of them fails almost immediately to be faithful to the God who called them to this road. When we are tested and placed on wilderness roads, we routinely fail to follow God faithfully on those roads. But there was one who followed faithfully and never failed. And he is the one who walks with us on every road we take. So we call this season Lent. And does anybody know what the word Lent means? It's an English word which means spring. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, I always thought that it just meant because Easter is, you know, all about springy things with like daffodils and bunnies and flowers and it warmed up. So spring has come. But really that's not what it means. It means the spring that comes from new life, from being revived, from being reawakened, from recognizing God's work in our lives, from new growth. So Lent is a season of new growth. Can we recognize how God wants to grow us in these next 40 days? And I think Luke 4 suggests one possible pathway to new life towards spring is to slow down and contemplate Jesus on the road. We've got these little handouts in your bulletin. I'd like you to pull them out if you haven't yet. They're blue and it says, On the Road with Jesus. Contemplation on the Road with Jesus. One of the activities sometimes we take up during Lent is like giving up stuff. I don't know how many of you are giving up things. I'm giving up soda pop. Um... People give up stuff that typically we think we can't live without, but we want to figure out if we can. So, and it's usually stuff we don't really need, like soda pop or rich foods or chocolate or fast food or things like that. And then there's also a tradition of putting on. We take on things to say, how will this help me see Jesus better? 
So I'm going to suggest that one of the practices that we all take on through this season is contemplation. And there's a little guide here that is really simple and clear and I think could be very helpful. That is simply stopping some of the craziness that we are involved in, some of the activity. And sometimes, you know, we stop things like, this is something you might give up for Lent, like Netflix binging or TV or cell phones. I know some people gave up their cell phone for Lent. These are things we don't really need. And by giving them up, we make time to put something on. So maybe think about that. So contemplation simply works like this. We, we make a choice to stop something that we normally do, and we replace it by simply saying, I'm going to listen for God. I'm going to look for Jesus on the way. And this little guide suggests that we pray a little prayer, which is listed there. Lord, unclutter my head and my heart to the point that I'm able to hear. You speak out of the silence. Help me in, those next, in these next few moments to stop, listen, wait, and be still long enough that I allow your presence to envelop and lead me. It's a prayer of slowing down. And then the third step is to listen. And the suggestion is that we do this with silence or in solitude. Try to find a place or a time when you're not going to be interrupted, when you can just simply close your mouth and listen. And as with many things here, we discover that it's actually better if we can practice these things um, kind of ahead of time. And so we're going to give you a little space right now to pray this prayer for yourself. And I thought I was going to have some music. Is that going to be a recorded thing? You guys are going to play for me? Or is Leah going to come play something? I don't see her, so she is back there distracted in conversation with somebody else. Okay, so we're going to play a recording. And um, so it's just some music to kind of help you maybe pull into a little bit of solitude by yourself. And we're going to just try to give you a few minutes to see what that feels like so you can kind of get a sense for what it would be like to be silent and listen to God for just a few minutes and um, go ahead and start that right now.